All right, well, good morning, everyone. We're still asleep in 2021. Good morning, everyone. All right, there we go. Well, Happy New Year. It's good to see you all. Welcome to Chinese Church in Christ, South Valley. Um, Now that we're in a new year, I'm going to start off by telling you all the reasons why I don't like New Year's and why I think it's overrated. But um, this is captured by one of our seniors in high school. We don't have that many, but um, when I was going across her social media yesterday, there were a couple of posts. This is uh, our sister, Daniela Lau. Daniela, if you're watching, thank you for uh, the sermon material. But um, part of why I've thought about New Year's and why I don't like it very much is it seems very arbitrary to me. Like the calendar flips, and then it's like, we have this all of a sudden new year, new me mentality, right? Just because we went from December 31st to to January 1st. And Daniela had posted a couple of memes on her Instagram story that I found were fantastic. And the first one, you young people who are gamers will get this, but uh, it said new year, new me, goes back to playing Genshin Impact. And that was like the first thing that the new year is bringing. If you If you know what that is, you'll understand. And then she later also had one that said, new year, new me, goes back to great America. Because if you live here in San Jose, you know, a lot of people live here. There's a lot of affluent people, but we kind of lack in the entertainment kind of areas that a big city like New York or LA might have, uh, all these different options. It's To me, it's just so arbitrary. And if you were here around Thanksgiving, when we had our combined service, when we ordained our new elders, I was sharing with you how much I love Thanksgiving as a holiday. But New Year's, I'm happy to say, I've now kept my streak alive. I think it's four years now where I went to sleep before midnight. And that's a streak I intend to keep up because it just feels very arbitrary. And, and for those of you guys who know me, you might, sound, you might say like, damn, this doesn't sound like you. You're usually a very glasses half full kind of person. And I still am. And hopefully as we look at today's passage, hopefully we can see we can always have a glasses half full mentality, but it doesn't have to come from an arbitrary changing of the calendar dates There's a hope that we have that's far more greater than that, that I think that we can turn to when it comes to the new year. And so our hope for this new year, 2022, it's not going to be found in our resolutions. Not saying that resolutions are bad. If you have New Year's resolutions, that's great. Mine is to make it five straight years next year, going to sleep before midnight on December 31st, 2022. That's what I'm going to try to do. Resolutions can be good. and, but also, our hope is not found in what we're hoping will happen in 2022, even though I'm sure for all of us, there are things we are hoping will take place in the coming year. Uh, if you think about it, the last normal New Year's we had was New Year's Day 2020. And life has not really been the same um, since early in that year, right? And last New Year's was tough, but there was the promise of, okay, vaccines around the corner. Hopefully we get a handle on the pandemic and things go back to normal. And you could say that's kind of come true in a way because we're sitting here in person. Last New Year's we were on Zoom, right? And But I don't know. Now that we're here in 2022, I don't know if you all have been looking at the same memes that I have that basically it's just a repeat of 2020, right? With the rise in COVID cases again and the new variants and people not sure how it's going to go. And none of us know the future. A lot of people are lamenting. This is where, thank goodness for the internet, um, for entertainment. Um, 
But if we're thinking from like a normal perspective of what might happen in this coming year, um, 2022 might not necessarily look so good. Some of you college students are back at home for a couple more weeks and going back to remote instruction because of outbreaks across the, the country and um, ways that schools are trying to get a handle on safety. And so if our hope is in what we resolve to do in 2022 or things that we're hoping will happen in 2022, I really think we'll be let down. But hopefully we can see from today's passage, there is still a greater hope that we have that can guide us into this new year. And that's something we can be, be really thankful for. Um, the, the, the memes of 2022 being a rerun of 2020 is not the only thing I came across on social media uh, this week. Uh, social media, contrary to popular, popular opinion, might have some good and wholesome stuff. And on Twitter, I saw this one repost of someone who had, you, have you ever driven past one of those churches, like one of those older churches where they have the sign out front of that week's sermon title? Like you, maybe you've seen that before. But there was a picture that said, New Year, same God. New Year, same God. And I'm hoping that if we think about who Jesus, the king that we just sang about in that song, there is a king. If we think about who he really is and what that means for our lives, hopefully that shows us why there is great reason to hope. Because we might be in a new year, but we have the same God. And what does this same God do uh, in our lives? Last week, Daniel took us on a deep dive into the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. Uh, I Saw the, I saw the video where he had you guys all recite it, and many people still have their memories sharp from their days in Awana memorizing the verses. Um, but we saw how deeply God loves us in that passage, how much he meets our deepest need, and how it prepares us for any and all circumstances. And if that's taking place in John 3, and that was a message about God's love, which fundamentally is what we celebrate at Christmas time. Since today being January 2nd, as we go into a new year, I thought we could look at the very next chapter after the most famous verse in the Bible in John chapter 4, which is not quite as famous, but many of you who have read the book of John, you will know this is the interaction that Jesus has with the woman at the well and where he speaks of this living water. And that's a, I think that's a great continuation of what Daniel talked about last week, how God meets our deepest need, because we will certainly see, for the woman who goes to draw water at the well, we certainly see over the course of her interaction with Jesus, how Jesus is meeting her deepest need. And when we look at the start of this new year, with all the uncertainty, all the fears that we might have for things that are going on in our world, we need that same living water. We need the same Savior who can meet our deepest need. And I pray that that will encourage us as we read John 4 today. And so hopefully as we do this and we see how deep the love of God is, just as the, just as the post said on Twitter, hopefully we get to see how New Year, same God, is a, is a great hope for us as we begin the year 2022. Um, we're going to read 30 verses. It's a lot of verses, so we're going to spend a lot of time uh, understanding the context, and we're going to see three things in this passage this morning. These are our three points. If, this, if the passage is really about Jesus communicating what living water is all about, and we'll talk more about that, these are the three things we're going to see in our passage today. First, we're going to see that we deeply desire living water. And we're going to spend a majority of our time on that point because that kind of captures the first 18 verses of chapter 4. 
That's the first thing we're going to see. Second, we're going to see that true living water is worship in spirit and truth. True living water is worship in spirit and truth. And finally, we're going to see that living water joyfully redefines our lives. And I think that's a perspective that we all need today as we start this new year. So first, we're going to see that we deeply desire living water. So we're going to read starting from verse 1, and we're going to start to understand the context of this passage and and see what this living water is all about in John chapter 4. So first, let's start in verse 1. And it tells us, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And so if we pause there, what this shows us is the ministry of Jesus has been taking place already. He has done enough things where the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the Jewish teachers of the law, had taken notice of the amount of people that were being baptized, the amount of people that were following him. And that's, so we're at the, we're at a point where Jesus's ministry is starting to generate some traction. And that actually influences this journey that he goes on that we see as we continue reading. So that's, that's the kind of the initial context that we see. And in verse 4, it says he had to pass through Samaria. Now, for us, if we don't understand the history of what was going on between the Jews and the Samaritans at this time, you might know the story of the Good Samaritan, where the Samaritan was the unlikely person who helped the Jewish person who was beat up and left for dead by the robbers on the side of the road in the parable that Jesus told. That kind of represents a lot of the hostility that existed between these two groups. And so when it says that Jesus left Judea and departed for Galilee, it was not uncommon, not everyone would do it, but it was not uncommon for Jewish people to take a really long route away from Samaria so they wouldn't interact with people where there was some hostility between the two groups. Now, where this came from, um, we've been in a series in the book of 1 Kings. We've taken a little break for the holidays. But um, if you remember, we saw a very, we didn't talk about him much, but in the context of 1 Kings that we've been studying, we saw that King Omri was one of the evil kings in a long line of evil kings that we've been studying and learning about. Um, but during this time of instability in Israel, he made Samaria kind of a second capital for people to go and worship God as well. When Jerusalem was the established capital, the place where the temple had been built, And so you kind of saw this rivalry between the two places or some hostility where Jewish people who were full-blooded would say, no, you have to go and worship in Jerusalem. That's the custom and that's the tradition. But in the course of all of the brokenness and all the different kings that ruled Israel at this time, this was a second place where people could go and worship God. And if you were Jewish and you were kind of really holding tightly to the histories of your people, this was deeply offensive to you. And that kind of shows the animosity between the two ethnicities. Um, Samaritans were often uh, people who were half Jewish, and so for people who were full-blooded Jewish, there existed some prejudice between the two groups. And so the bad blood over many years of history was still present, and it's why many Jews wouldn't pass through Samaria if they were traveling. And so Jesus, he wouldn't be the only one to have ever done this. Some people would do it just because, like, I don't know, if you're trying to go a long way around, sometimes you're just like, oh, that takes too long. Even though there's a problem with this path, it gets there faster, and so I'll take it. And so um, Jesus is on this road where he, inter- where he comes to meet the Samaritan woman, and we'll see that in a moment. Um, so in verse 6, it tells us Jacob's well was there. 
So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And in verse 7, we get introduced to the Samaritan woman. And it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now, this might seem very, uh, this might seem very uh, kind of nondescript to us, but actually, this has quite a bit of significance here. When it says it's about the sixth hour, what this is telling us is, like, based on the, uh, I don't know the logic behind it, but the sixth hour is basically saying this was noontime. In the, in the, it's the hottest part of the day. If you've ever been in the Middle East, I haven't, but I imagine noontime in, in a place where temperatures are well over 100 degrees, it would be extremely hot. And so if you've thought about this passage before or you've heard about it before, you would know there's something strange about this woman coming to the well at the hottest hour of the day. And that starts to give us some clues into who she is and what's going on in her life and why she would be there. It was customary for the women to go to the well to draw water early in the morning before the hot temperatures and to go in groups uh, for lots of reasons, primarily so they, wouldn't be, so they wouldn't be by themselves for safety. And so the fact that she's coming to the well alone at the hottest time of the day tells, starts to tell you something about kind of her position in society and what's going on in her life. And really, if you go to a place at the like hottest time of the day, the only reason you would do that is to avoid being seen by others, right? Now, when I go shopping, I hate big crowds. If I go grocery shopping, I try to go to Safeway at like 6.30 in the morning because there's no one there and it's like, that's my way of avoiding it. Now, this is the opposite because she wanted to avoid being seen, and we will understand why in a little bit as we keep reading, but it's very out of the norm that she would be there at this time of day. And so we'll get into this later, but there's another problem when Jesus asks her for a drink, and we see this in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman, ask, me, ask for a, a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Um, I'm reading from the ESV. If you have the ESV, you might have in parentheses, and it's probably here on the screen. It says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And that goes back to the hostility that existed between the two groups, right? Now, when she says, how do you ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Here are the, there are multiple things going on in just that simple phrase, a woman of Samaria. First, when it says it was a, when she says I'm a woman, that's because at this time there wasn't a whole lot of interaction between men and women publicly in society, especially if a woman was by herself. That could be misinterpreted in all kinds of ways. And otherwise, she probably would have just said, how can you ask me a Samaritan? But she says a woman from Samaria. And yet Jesus asks her for a drink anyway. And then when she says Samaria, I've explained why there would be hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans a little bit. Um, there's a lot of deeper kind of reasons for the hostility, but for the sake of time, I don't want to get into it. But hopefully you can see that this was the parentheses are there to guide us with a lot of the historical and cultural factors we might not understand to see that hostility between these two groups definitely existed. And so Jesus answers her in verse 10. And he says, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And this is where we are introduced to the phrase living water for the first time. 
Now, Jesus kind of disregards her question about both race and gender, and it's not because those things don't matter, but his answer tells us that he had a different goal in mind as he's communicating with her. And that's seen as he mentions this idea of living water for the first time. And this is a way where Jesus is starting to introduce himself to her and who he really is. Now, if you take a step back and think about the big picture, that's actually kind of a strange thing, but it shows how much Jesus wants to communicate the love of God with this woman. If he was leaving, as we saw in the first couple of verses, if he was leaving the area where the Pharisees were because his ministry was starting to create a commotion, he didn't want, it was too early in his ministry for him to cause a whole bunch of problems. So he travels on a route that not many Jewish people would come. So on the one hand, he's trying to downplay who he is as he's leaving from one area. But then when he gets here, he is telling this woman who he is, that he is the source of living water. Now, it's a strange answer, right? Like if you were, to, if you were asking that, if you were to put yourself in the woman's shoes, this would seem to be a, a really strange kind of answer where he says, if you knew, basically he's saying, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me. And so when the woman hears the phrase living water, her mind is thinking about the practicalities. Like what, what does he actually mean by this? Look at their interaction in the next couple verses, starting in verse 11. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Never mind that Jesus said he was the source of living water, and this was a strange answer, but her mind is thinking about the practicalities of it. She's thinking, you don't have a water jar. Like, you're here by yourself in the middle of the day, nothing to draw water. How are you? How is it that I am supposed to ask you for, for a drink? How does that work? And she goes on to say in verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And do you see how in the conversation, kind of both of them are in different places, Jesus is saying, I am the source of living water, and he mentions the phrase eternal life. And as the woman tries to make sense of what he's saying, she starts to think about how great would it be if I never had to like come back here to get water. Um, if you, for those of you who know me, you guys know I love drinking sparkling water. I have long considered what it would be like to have like just like sparkling water on tap where it's just like I don't have to go to the store and buy it in cans or bottles and it's just like, you know, always there. I don't have to like pay the exorbitant California redemption value every time I buy these things, but it's like, you know, that was there. Um, She's kind of thinking along the same lines, but there's actually so much more reason why that would be important for her. If she came here in the middle of the day, the whole reason is because she probably has to do this day by day by day to avoid being seen at the hottest part of the day. And so 
because we all know we need water to live, and that would be even more true in a time where they don't have the same technology that we do today. You know, you don't just buy a case of water from the store or go to the, the pure water kind of stores where you fill in, fill the fill up the big the big jugs of water. But like this would be actual hard work, walking, carrying it. If you've ever carried water before, it's actually really extremely heavy. Like even like a small bucket of it is pretty pretty heavy. And to be doing this in the middle of the day. That's why to her, practically, it's good, it would be good news if she didn't have to do this anymore. So she's trying to understand what Jesus is saying. But on the other hand, she's also thinking, how great would it be if I didn't have to come to this well every day in the middle of the day? And so there's a way that she's kind of looking for a practical answer. And what was getting in the way of her convenience for getting actual water at a quote-unquote normal time of day where she wouldn't be doing this in the middle of the day. We see that as their conversation continues. And we see this starting in verse 16. And this is where we learn a little bit more about this woman. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman, an the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. This is where we get to see, this is why the woman was coming to the well in the middle of the day to draw water. Because of her past, because of her situation, she is clearly an outcast in society. And in a, um, in a culture that would have looked down on divorce so much more than our culture does today, there was so much shame that she was carrying. And that's why she wouldn't go at a normal hour. And that's why she had to go in the middle of the day when the heat is super intense and she has to carry this heavy jug of water back in hopes of not being seen. And what that tells us is she was kind of making a decision for herself that it is worth the hard work and the discomfort to go in these crazy temperatures rather than to be seen by others where people could talk about her, talk about her situation, and view her in a certain way. And so as Jesus has introduced this phrase, living water, it is kind of ironic that the practical implications of getting water for this woman are tied to the desires of the heart as well. Like it's a practical thing that she has to go to the well every day, but she has to go at a different time because of the deeper things that are going on in her life. Last week, as we looked at the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Daniel spent a lot of time talking about how God meets our deepest need. And so Jesus is certainly calling attention to a deep but also painful part of this woman's life when he asks her the question, go and call your husband. And so she's thinking, do you see how her situation affects all the other details of her life? That's why she's getting water in the middle of the day, because it's worth it to her not to be seen by others. But Jesus, in not fully answering her questions, is trying to get her to see something that's actually far more important than just whether she can safely and without ridicule transport water to and from her home. For the woman, her situation must have felt impossible. There would be no end in coming to the well in the middle of the day in the intense heat every day because that's kind of what her life had come to at this point. 
and it's why it affected her day to day and why she's so uh, curious about what would it look like if there was an unending source of water where I didn't have to walk to this place every day. And it's affected the small details of her life. And if you can put yourself in her shoes, her situation probably feels very impossible as an outsider in society. And so for us to start to understand this idea of living water, can we pause for a moment in the story and ask ourselves, can we relate with that feeling of life being impossible? Do we carry similar shame to this woman for some or any reason in our lives where we're just like, it's so painful, I can't deal with it, and we make a similar choice where it's like, okay, I'm gonna make a choice similar to the woman where I would go like, do something out of necessity at a time where hopefully no one else would see me. It's a way where maybe we try to hide our shame and metaphorically cover it up. And it can affect the practical areas of our lives where maybe we have our own strategies for covering up our shame um, so that others might not recognize it. And if, that, if that's something that we can connect to with this woman, hopefully we're going to see that this living water that Jesus has is good news for them. But honestly, there's, I think there's other ways that our lives might feel impossible right now, too. It might not be a sin and shame issue. But this is where I think this passage actually is very instructive for us as we go forward into the new year. If we're hoping for a more normal 2022 than the last couple years, uh, where we're at with cases rising and some schools going back to virtual instruction for a little bit, that might make our lives feel impossible. And for someone who's kind of worried about, like, are we making all the right decisions as a church? Like, how do we balance the important part of being a church, like, in person? Because in-person relationships are far more genuine than what the virtual world has to offer. But how do we do that while managing safety? These are a lot of thoughts that have rolled through my mind and other leaders in our church as well. And so when we hear reports of things kind of cropping up again where we have a very uncertain future, it might be easier for us, it might be easy for us to think, how am I supposed to be hopeful for 2022? Like, yes, there's all these memes of how it's a rerun of 2020, but if we actually think about that in a serious way, I don't think any of us want to relive that. A lot of us are fed up with all of the restrictions that we've had to deal with, and our mindset is, if you're like me, like, we've been good. We've tried to, like, abide by all these restrictions, but it's got to stop at some point. I only have so much desire to, like, follow all the rules and the guidelines. I need a more normal 2022, and our lives might feel very impossible in that way. And I imagine that's how this woman felt as Jesus is calling attention to a very painful part of her life at this moment. And so perhaps we are missing something bigger and more important that Jesus wants to point us to this morning. What could that be? And that brings us to the second point this morning. We've seen how Jesus starts to address the deepest desire of, of this woman at the well. Now, he hasn't fully kind of made everything right, but we're going to see how that's going to happen in a moment. And the second point of this is that true living water is worship in spirit and truth. And that's a really important phrase for us this morning that we're going to unpack. So as Jesus shows the woman that he somehow knows all of the hidden details of her life, she does something that we often do in order to avoid painful topics of conversation. She tries to change the subject and ask him a theological question. We see this starting in verse 19. So having heard that Jesus knows her entire past, 
which I'm sure startled her. This is her response. We see this in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So she's here at this well, and this well, if you read up on the history, we don't have time to get into it, but it was at a place where, remember, as Samaria made another, uh, as like during the time of King Omri when Samaria had another capital city, this was a location of significance where people would go to worship. And this well was actually very significant um, for the Samaritan people. And so as Jesus calls attention to a very uh, difficult part of her life, she says, well, where is the true place to worship? Is it Jerusalem the way many of the Jews say, or is it here? Are both okay? And D.A. Carson, who I would consider one of the leading, if not the most uh, kind of expert uh, commentator on the book of John, he said this. He said, it is always easier to talk theology than to deal with truth that is personally distressing. And I think that's true. It's a way where a lot of times we have our ways of changing the subject in order to avoid something that might be painful in our lives as well. And in the same way that the woman asked how she could possibly find a way to stop bringing her water jar to this place each and every day so as to have a physical endless supply of water, she asks, where is the correct place to worship? And I love Jesus' answer here. He doesn't say, I see what you're doing. You're changing the subject. Let's get back to what we were talking about. That's not what he says. Here's how he answers her, starting in verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. There's a lot to unpack here, and for the sake of time, I just want to focus on two phrases that we see in this section. First, in verse 22, Jesus says, you worship what you do not know. And then second, he says, he is seeking those who want to worship in spirit and, and in tru- and truth. And what Jesus is saying here is that if he's seeking someone to worship in spirit and truth, if he's imparting all this wisdom to this woman who clearly was an outcast of society, it's a way where he's starting to, uh, to communicate to her that true worship is not our moral performance or all of the ways that society has said that this woman has fallen short. Um, or what's going to happen in our world. These things matter, and we want to learn to see things spiritually. But Jesus is saying there's something more important, way more important that's coming. Like, it's not a bad question to ask where's a good place to worship, whether it's Jerusalem or here in Samaria or what are all the implications of that. But Jesus is saying there's something far more important, and it's to worship in spirit and truth. And to understand what that really means, let's unpack what he says when he tells the woman, look, you are worshiping what you don't know. And I think that's a totally underrated phrase for us to think about when it comes to our faith and what we believe. Because I would, I would argue that many people in our world worship things that they don't actually know or don't actually trust. And that's why worshiping in spirit but also in truth are going to be so important. 
A couple weeks ago, Daniel took us through the passage of the contest on Mount Carmel. And if you remember the story, it's a contest to see who the one true living God is. And one of the really powerful parts of the story is it's Elijah versus the 450 prophets of Baal. And the contest is to see which God will send fire down from heaven to light the fire on the, on the sacrifice that is made. And that God will prove that he is the one true God. And a detail in this story is that the 450 prophets of Baal, they are exhausting themselves trying to get their God's attention to answer. And what Daniel shared with us in that passage, you see them dancing around the altar, shouting, even injuring themselves in hopes that Baal would answer. I would say this is a really, really good picture of worshiping something that you don't know. You are hoping that your God will answer, but you don't actually know. A lot of us put our hope in many different things in this world where we think if I get into the right school, all of my deepest desires will be fulfilled. If I have the perfect family life, if I have the perfect financial situation, we put our hope in all of these things, but we don't actually know how it's going to turn out. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. You, amongst many other people, you worship what you don't know. And he's saying a time is coming where true worship is when you worship in spirit and in truth. And in that passage at Mount Carmel, Elijah knew who God was. He didn't have to work super hard to say, God, will you now show yourself to this world and to everyone here? If you know who God is, you know that he is gracious. You know that he sees your sin the way he saw this woman's sin, but he loves you and he forgives you. And if it's true that God sent fire down from heaven in the presence of a very evil and powerful regime for all to see, then a two-year pandemic and all the worries that we have in this world does not make him any less powerful. But hopefully we can see that we can patiently wait and see what his plan and purpose is for this time in our world. Oftentimes we want to worship God in hopes that he will give us what we want. A safe world, a comfortable world, a better job, miraculous healing for in our relationships or the perfect family life. But if you truly know him, you know that you can trust that he will work things out for good. To worship the God we know is to trust that he has his timing and that we will see it. And if you're like me and you have your mind clouded by 2020 turning into 2022 memes, then I totally understand why you might be discouraged. I don't want to spend another moment the way the last couple years have been. And yet, if that's all we're thinking about, perhaps we are missing the point of something deeper that God wants us to see and what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. To worship in spirit, if we're going to take those two words, it shows that God is not completely visible to us, and we have to have faith and trust that he's there and that he's working. And Jesus is saying, I'm asking you, to the woman, I'm asking you to look past the practicality of carrying this heavy water jar, but I'm asking you to see the bigger picture of who God really is. Yes, it's very different than anything that you've seen. It's different than what society is telling you, but it's very different. And you have to worship him in spirit, but also in truth. And so what that means is not to think from an earthly perspective, but to see that he is the one true God, and he will give us the living water that we need, but not necessarily the earthly water that we want. If, you, uh, if you've been watching the TV series, The Chosen, 
Um, it is a fantastic series. We watched the whole first season um, with the youth group over the summer, and we had a great time watching it together and talking about it. Now, this show has taken some, I would say, some creative liberties from Scripture to write the story, but there is a fantastic episode about this one passage. And if you haven't gotten there, I mean, if you read the passage, it's basically spoiling what happened. So, you know, I don't have to worry about spoilers. But when, when the woman hears these words and has this conversation to Jesus, we're going to see this in a moment in the third point. But she goes away off to town, and we're going to see why in a moment. But she turns back and she looks at him with a smile. And she says, spirit and truth. And if you don't know who Jesus is, that probably doesn't make that much sense. But to her, this whole interaction had shown her there was something supernatural about this man she was talking to, but also something true. And she is overjoyed that she has met someone who says, the time is coming where true worship is about worshiping in spirit and in truth. And hopefully we can see how, the, how we might experience that in our lives. And we might say, well, what does that look like practically? And that leads us to our final point for this morning, where living water joyfully redefines our lives. So how does this passage end? As Jesus explains to the woman what has gone on in her life and the need for living water, it leads her to the idea of a Messiah. And we see this starting in verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus is not trying to hide his identity in any way. He is saying, I am the Messiah you have heard about and that you have just spoken about. He saw her sin, saw her for who she really was, and all the sin in her life does not stop Jesus from revealing his true identity to her. And we want to pause and just acknowledge that that is a really powerful and important part of this passage. This is a woman who was an outcast from society. And though there were many that Jesus was trying to kind of hide the success of his ministry from for reasons where he didn't want to create a riot too early in his ministry before so he wouldn't bring upon the crucifixion so quickly, for this woman, an outcast in society, he goes and he reveals who he is to her in a way that he was trying to keep hidden from many, many people. And so as this passage ends, we don't see the full picture, but the truth has now hit her. This man is the Messiah. He somehow knew everything about my life, all the things I've been trying to hide from everyone else, but he knows them, but he's actually calling me and giving me an invitation to worship in spirit and truth. And I'm sure she has no idea what that means, but you see that it's something that she's eager to find out about. And so at this point, Jesus' disciples come back, and that's where the passage ends. But there's a, one small detail that I think is actually really powerful in these last couple verses we're going to read that hopefully shows us what does it look like to worship in spirit and in truth. And it's not the only way, but I think it's something really important for us to take, uh, take consideration of leading into this new year. Verse 27 says this, Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. We, we talked about the social constructs of the time. Um, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of town and were coming to him. The woman who was so scared to be seen in front of others now has no trouble going back into town and starting a kind of an abrupt conversation with, uh, with other people. Why? 
She acknowledges that Jesus knew all she had done, all the messiness of her past, and she's starting to see that he is the Savior and he is the Messiah. And we see a very important detail in verse 28, even before she gets into town, where it says she left her water jar before she went into town. Why? At this moment, she had a new goal. Her goal previously to this conversation was to bring this water jar and to carry it back, heavy as it might be, so she would get the water she needs physically without being seen, without being thrust further into a place of outcast in society. But now, she has a new goal. It's not to get water. It's to go and tell people about the Messiah and that she had this conversation with the Savior. As the past year has ended and as we start this new year if our lives feel empty or dry or filled with anxiety perhaps we are clinging too tightly to our water jars this morning and whatever we think is filling us up whether it's things we hope will happen in 2022 or things that resolutions that we're hoping to keep whatever that might be it pales in comparison to the joy of telling someone else about Jesus And that's what this woman had recognized right here in this moment. Do you see how different it is that she's hiding from everyone in town versus going into town to tell people, look who I met and look who he is. And so not only does Jesus reveal himself and speak truth to the woman at the well, but he gives her new purpose in life. And you can see that as she goes and overcomes everything that was keeping her in shame, she leaves her water jar and goes and tells people about the Savior. So what is the living water that you and I need as this new year starts? If we, like the woman, can be caught in a web of shame, do we see that God sees us as we are, and it doesn't stop him from calling us to worship him in spirit and truth? It's a way where where we are called to take our eyes off of this world and to think of God, the Heavenly Father, in a completely different way, in spirit, from a spiritual perspective, and to see how there's also incredible truth in that. And perhaps with all the uncertainty that exists in our world, like I have no idea what the month of January is gonna look like, I know how I want it to go, I know all the things that I hope will happen, but does all of that pale in comparison to the joy of telling people about Jesus? I don't know what 2022 holds. I'm, I'm anxious about the future. I don't like the kind of current state that we're in where we have to be more careful again um, as we were maybe a year ago. I'm anxious about what it means for our church or all the other parts of our lives. But if there is one thing that completely changed the life of this woman from being completely hopeless, filled with shame, and in an impossible situation, it was being face-to-face with the true living water and then wanting to go and tell everyone about him. And so if that is our goal, that way it turned into the goal for this, wo- this woman, then I know 2022 will be a good year, if that's our goal. And perhaps in all of our practical concerns in the pandemic, we have forgot the joy of what it looks like when someone comes to know Jesus. And if we make that our resolution and we trust God with the results, then I know that this will be a great year. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for this passage. Um, God, hopefully this is 
uh, so um, deeply encouraging for us, Lord, to see, God, that you see us, not just the good parts of us, but holistically. You've seen everything that we've done, including all of our sin. And yet, God, you call us to worship you because that's how loving and gracious you are. Lord, I do pray that for all of us who are uh, just uncertain and anxious about the future, God, we don't know what new restrictions might be handed down. We don't know what our day-to-day looks like. We don't know what coming to church looks like in 2022. But God, I pray that you would renew our passion and our purpose for for knowing you and wanting people to know you. And so, God, I just, I thank you for these truths. And, Lord, if, this is an, if, this, if these are difficult truths for, the, for us this morning, Lord, I pray that we would wrestle with them. I pray, God, that we could put ourselves in the shoes of the woman and see that, Lord, you love us, not because of who we're supposed to be, but as we are. And right now, you are calling us to worship you as we are. So, God, I just thank you for the amazing grace that we see on display in this passage for your love that knows no bounds, Lord. Love that loved this woman who no one else in society wanted to love. God, I pray that we would get to see that we are loved by you in the same way. And yet you've also blessed us with the tremendous, ble- the tremendous blessing of the body of Christ around us, where, God, we can rally around the same goal, to know you and to make you known. And so, Lord, in all of the fears and all of the anxieties, all of the uncertainties that we see in 2022, Lord, I pray that we would have the same heart of the Samaritan woman, where we want to go and tell people what you have done in our lives, and that we could see that that is a part of your purpose here in 2022, and how that is all of the living water that we need. God, we thank you for the ways that your word um, speaks these truths to us. And I pray that, God, it would have just uh, real and powerful uh, just implications for our lives. So we thank you for this time. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.